Well, I trust you had a good afternoon. Carol and I had an uh, enjoyable time with uh, various saints, uh, quite a number of uh, you this afternoon, it seemed. Uh, I was uh, speaking this morning uh, regarding uh, the need uh, for us to see what God sees and to love as God has asked us to love. Uh, tonight, I'd like to temper some of the instructions I was giving uh, this morning to say that the way in which God wants us to love is in truth. In other words, our love may be misdirected if it's not laser-focused with truth. And consequently, the same thing is true in the other direction. Our truth can be harsh and hurtful if it's not also tempered by love. I'd like to take us to a number of passages in the New Testament uh, to demonstrate that. First, would you please look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, whom he attends will likely take over his work. Uh, they have been working in the church of Ephesus, a large, healthy church, and Paul needs to move on. Uh, Timothy wishes he could go with him, but Paul says, no, you really need to stay. Uh, they still need your help. And as the letter opens, he gives Timothy instructions and in why it is it's necessary that he remains. In spite of the love that the Ephesian church was known for, they have in their midst people who are not teaching the truth. And he says, you can't be loving about bad doctrine. Uh, you have to help people know the truth rather than just hearing people out and saying, let's be loving. I'm reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, meaning that when we listen to teachers, we listen astutely to make sure that what they are saying is actually taught by the scriptures. Nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Apparently what they were doing was taking the characters of the Old Testament that you see listed off in various genealogies and wholesale making up stories and lessons and principles and applications based on these myths that they had made up teaching whatever they want to teach. Now, most of us circle only in uh, places that teach good and sound doctrine. But if you start listening very far afield of other churches, you would be surprised how creative they are in just making stuff up that has no basis in the truth of Scripture. And so Paul says, I know you want to come with me, Timothy. You need to stay behind. You need to help us because as doctrinally correct as the church of Ephesus is, 
as loving as the church of Ephesus is, it doesn't mean we don't have quacks who are out there teaching wild, crazy things, and you just can't let this go on. He gives in verse 5 a crucially important explanation of the goal of why we teach God's word. And it does center on love because the central character trait of God in his love and the central way in which we communicate the gospel and the central way in which he asks us to respond to the gospel and build up the body of Christ is through love. But I want you to listen to how he explains we live out this love in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, the goal or the aim of our instruction, and he's speaking here of the instruction that we give in the church, the purpose, the end, the goal, the aim of our instruction is love, true. However, notice how you can test that it's working correctly. It changes people. It doesn't just change their thinking, it also changes their character, and he describes it in three ways. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some of us think uh, that biblical teaching has little to do with teaching people to be loving. Not true. The scripture is quite clear that as we teach people the truth, they will apply it and actually live to be more kind and considerate, sensitive, and appreciative of other people's needs, and to love them as God has allowed his love to flow through us to them. But this biblical teaching about love will always be in line with God's truth. And so we constantly have to recalibrate how we are thinking, how we are serving, how we are loving people to make sure that we are recalibrating on God's truth. The goal of our sound, healthy, orthodox teaching is the love of God flowing through us to love people. But sound teaching as it produces and promotes love, will come through a heart that has been purified, a heart that is cleansed, a heart that is cleansed from sin and from selfishness, a heart that is honed by God to see as God sees and to care as God cares. And so our heart will be pure in its attitudes, in its motives, in its values, in its priorities, in its pursuits. And unless we keep recalibrating our hearts to make sure we're loving as God would love and we're seeing as God would see and we are focused on living truthfully, then we are loving accurately. I have five kids. I have five grandkids. As we were rearing our kids, our kids tried to rear us as parents. In other words, they tried to help us as parents know best how to rear them. In their creativity and in their cunning 
And because they're so cute, they would try to re-persuade us as to what should be right and wrong in our household and for what they should be rewarded and for what they should be either admonished or, if necessary, disciplined. It is amazing how persuasive your own children can be as to say, this is the best way to rear me. And it's amazing how quick we are to give up our principles and adjust to what they are asking of us. The same thing can happen in our churches. The same thing can happen in the way in which we seek to serve and to minister God's love to others if we are not continuously recalibrating our heart in the way in which we think and the way in which we love from a pure heart, a heart that has been transformed by God. Secondly, you notice that this love stems from a good conscience. Your conscience, true to every human being, saved or unsaved, is your moral compass in which it tells us right from wrong. A good conscience is one that is not seared by repeated sin, but it's an accurate moral compass of right and wrong, sensitive to God's leading and rightly judging one's thoughts and goals and motives and words and deeds. That compass keeps us focused on right from wrong, true from false, loving from unloving. And then thirdly, he says, biblical love and the way in which we minister it stems from a sincere faith. You think of faith as the way in which we receive the gift that God offered, the gift of Jesus Christ's payment on our behalf. We receive that by faith. But actually, that faith continues to exercise itself in every aspect of our being throughout our lives. We live by faith every moment of every day. It wasn't just used and exercised once in the reception of the gospel, we actually live moment by moment by faith. He says this faith has to be sincere. It's the opposite of hypocritical. The actors in that age acted in front of such huge amphitheater. The amphitheater in Ephesus seated thousands. that You couldn't quite see their facial expressions. So to tell the crowd sitting far away the expression that they were trying to convey, they'd hold up a mask over their face, and you could see they were happy, they were sad, they were quizzical. You could sense what they were trying to convey by a mask that made it clearer what the facial expression was saying. You're hypocritical if you believe one thing and live differently. You're hypocritical if you know what's true and don't live according to what's true. You know what's real and yet you don't live according to what's genuine. A faith that actively believes the promises and principles of Scripture and then acts on them is genuine trust in God. So go back to the context again in which he's saying, I have to leave you in Ephesus even though you'd like to come with me because you have to help these guys not to teach lies the goal of our instruction is love, but it's from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, verse 6, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, talking about things that will not matter, talking about things that aren't worth fighting about. And at the college, we would teach 
deep, intricate ideas in theology, and the students would think they should stay up past midnight in their dormitories arguing with each other about the finer points of these doctrines. And you'd say, like, that's not the point. The point is to live out these things, not to argue about these things, not to try to separate fellowship by splitting hairs. The goal is love from a pure heart. Don't turn aside to fruitless discussion. In their case in Ephesus, they had people who wanted to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or matters about which they make confident assertions. Now, if you just listen to what he said is, these are like salesmen teachers who are selling you a bill of goods that is not true. They don't even know what they're talking about, but they act like they're knowledgeable. And they make confident assertions, and they want you to believe them because of their confidence, but it is not based on the Scripture. And so he says you have to go back to the truth. Our, the goal of the truth is to teach us to love, but let's make sure we're first teaching the truth. Turn to Paul. In his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 15, please. And notice in this section, he actually explains to us that we must speak the truth in love. I'll pick up the context, beginning with Ephesians 4.11, describing how God has given gifted individuals as leaders to the church with these spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit ministering through them to lead the church properly. Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. The purpose of these leading gifts are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So the leadership equips so that the individuals within the body with these various gifts actually exercise those gifts, which strengthen the body, build it up. The goal would be, verse 13, until we all, every one of us, none left behind, till we all attain to the unity of the faith, we'd find ourselves unified around the same truth, and the knowledge of the Son of God, unified around relationship and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ, to a mature man that we're no longer like children tossed to and fro, willing to believe anything, but they were actually mature and stable in our understanding of the Scripture. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, meaning that we're mature enough to know and serve Christ accurately and well. He says, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And it means there are people out there that are trying to steal us away with their falsehoods in which they're trying to teach us stuff that they make up in which they think are improvements to the truth of the Scripture. Here's verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So you notice there the balance of truth and love. Speaking the truth in love, in every aspect of our being, in a well-rounded way, we're going to grow up and become mature and stable, not gullible like children that will believe anything, so that we function as the body 
with Christ as the head, verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So as each of us exercises spiritual gifts, if each of us loves each other and stimulates each other to love and good deeds, we actually strengthen the body as a whole, and the body as a whole matures. And it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You'll notice again, the key verse for which I brought you here is verse 15, in which he says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is our head. The verb to speak is not there. Truth is expressed as a participle, a part of speech in which in English we put I-N-G at the end. So if you were to translate this literally, he says, rather, truthing in love we are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, even into Christ. Truthing in love. What he is stressing here is that we're not merely to know the truth. We're not merely to speak the truth. We are to be the truth. Now think of that compared to what I was saying this morning, in which I was saying that it's not enough to say what the Old Testament says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, one must do what it says. So it's not enough to intellectually be aware of what the truth is and say, I can repeat back to you a memorized verse that I don't really understand, and I can say it, and I'm probably right with the answer of the verse, but I don't know what the verse means. It is to know the truth in such a way that you live out the truth. Doesn't this make perfect sense? In Galatians, when I was a kid and I was memorizing the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, it had this phrase tacked on the end, against such there is no law. I had no idea what that meant, although I memorized it. It wasn't until I came to understand the book of Galatians that I actually understood the context. And I was saying... Why this phrase at the end, against such there is no law? What he's trying to say is, whereas you think, though you were saved by grace through faith apart from works, that these Judaizers are convincing you to actually submit yourselves to the laws of Moses, like being circumcised and keeping the dietary restrictions of the law of Moses, so that you can be both saved and sanctified? This is crazy stuff. Why are you believing these lies? He actually says the Holy Spirit working in you, because you are believers and you have the Holy Spirit, will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, you know those. And he says these are not in contradiction to the law. Remember, against such there is no law. They're not in contradiction to the law. In fact, they fulfill the law. By living out the ministry of the Holy Spirit within me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, you know that list, I actually succeed in accomplishing what the purpose of the law was. I fulfill what God wanted me to do if I were, as an Old Testament saint, keeping the law. But we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, and we're under a new covenant 
before God, a covenant in which he's actually forgiven our sins and placed his spirit within me and given us new hearts and allowed us to serve him. Consequently, in Ephesians 4.15, in which he's saying, how is it that we grow? He is saying, and I think a very literal translation of this that would help us understand it is, being truthful with love, because love is the instrument, truthing it or being truthful with love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. <coughs> now, what is the point? The point is this, that we often, in an attempt to be loving, acquiesce to the direction from other people as to how they are to be treated, rather than filtering that through truth. Or we flip to the other extreme and say, all I will be is about what I know, and I don't care how I run over people and hurt them. Neither of those extremes are biblical. And I'm showing you repeatedly that there's a balance between how we love and how we fulfill what the truth is. And the truth is more than knowledge. The truth is more than just what we speak. The truth is actually who we are and how we live. You have this expression in the Me Too movement in which people say, I am speaking my truth. What they mean by that is truth is relative. Truth is what I want it to be. And I will tell you what I want you to believe about me, and you better believe it because I believe it about myself. They have no actual ground to truth other than the reality that they've made up in their own worldview. In this case, however, we're saying that we constantly recalibrate ourselves according to the truth revealed in the Word of God so that the way in which we love, we do so truthfully according to the Word of God. Paul's not the only author that writes this way. Peter writes this way when in 1 Peter 1.22 he says, Since you, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, almost identical to Paul here, for a sincere love of the brethren, purity, sincerity, purifying your souls, sincerely, non-hypocritically loving the brethren, 1 Peter 1.22, fervently, warmly, to the point of almost hot to the touch, fervently love one another from the, you know the word? Heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. But it begins with, in obedience to the truth, we fervently love one another. John writes this way. Paul, Peter, John, apostle after apostle is teaching us the same thing. 1 John 3.18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. When we love, we don't love just with our tongue. We don't just say we love. We actually do love. We actually live love. There has to be deeds that back it up. And it is directed properly through the instruction of the Word of God and the truth that we receive from the Word of God. 
Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. He'd say, to apply this, I need examples. Show me what this would look like. The two greatest examples are 2 John and 3 John. So open your Bibles to 2 John, and let's see love demonstrated indiscriminately. It's amazing, but the Apostle John, who outlived others, uh, was also ministering in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the four largest cities in the entire Roman Empire, and it had a number of satellite cities around it. And so there was a very large assembly in Ephesus and a number of smaller churches in the surrounding region, all of which were influenced by the Apostle John. Unfortunately, as the traveling preacher teachers were moving among these various assemblies, some of them were teaching biblically, and some of them were not. It wasn't very safe for them to stay in the local inns, and so it was common among them to receive the hospitality of the believers in their villages. And so you would go and stay in the home of the believer. They would house you, they would feed you, you would teach in their assembly, and when it was time to move on to another assembly, they would send you on your way with a gift. In this case, as John writes to a particular lady whom he doesn't name, he just calls her elect lady, he says, I don't think you realize this, but you've actually been aiding and abetting the enemy because you've been helping false teachers by showing them hospitality in your home and allowing them to teach in your assemblies. You're being loving, and I love you for being loving, but your love has to be recalibrated and focused to be love through truth. Listen to how he describes this. Third John, excuse me, Second John, verse 1. The elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Notice he begins right in the very first phrase to say love and truth go hand in hand. Not only I, but also all those who've known the truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I think you're beginning to get the theme. He wants love and truth to be balanced with each other, and she has to make sure that she's not indiscriminate in the way in which she helps these traveling teachers, and that she has some responsibility to understand the theology of these teachers so that she's not harming the assembly by helping them put forward false teachers. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. He's saying, uh, let me make sure that you don't take offense at this, but yes, you're right. We need to love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That is a very interesting statement that Jesus made when the question came up, how do I demonstrate my love to you? He says, well, 
obey my commandments, do what I say. That makes perfect sense. Your own children, if they said, like, Mom, how could I please you? She could so easily say, Honey, do what I say. Follow my instructions. You'll please me amazingly. In the same way, he says, Yes, we're to love, but we're to love according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Now, here's the problem. For many deceivers, liars, false teachers, have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. Their particular problem was they were beginning to be influenced by what eventually became Gnosticism, in which they did not believe that a real incarnation had taken place. The second person, the Trinity, did not become a human being. They began to teach a doctrine they think they're improving on the Trinity and on the Incarnation. They're actually destroying it, in which they say that Jesus Christ is a human being, and only a human being, a righteous human being, but only a human being, upon whom the Logos of God came and dwelt temporarily. They'd say you could see the Logos coming upon him at his baptism, and he left him just shortly before the crucifixion. That theology means there is no salvation because unless the God-man dies in our place, we cannot be saved. If Jesus is just a man and there is no incarnation, we are still in our sins and we are not saved. And he clearly says in verse 7, this is the deceiver and the antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. The language of a full reward is like a full day's pay. And he's saying... The rewards that you're storing up in heaven are actually going to start going backwards if you're not more careful as to how you live your life. I know you're being loving, but you can't be indiscriminate in your loving. You have to be careful because the ministry you're doing is a wonderful ministry. Hospitality is a wonderful ministry. It's a gift of the Spirit. But you want to be careful to whom and how you show this hospitality. Verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So he may go around saying he's a man of God. He is not. He has no relationship with God. He doesn't even know God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both relationship with the Father and with the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. That's a scary thought. Some people have taken this to an extreme and say, if uh, people from other religions come to my door knocking on my door and want to talk to me about their religion, they have literature to pass out, or they... They want to speak to me about what they believe, and I know already that what they're teaching is false. I can't let them across the threshold because it says, do not receive him into your house, nor even give him a greeting. Some people are so much like this, they say, like, you're not coming across the threshold. When I first arrived back in California and, and began to live in Buena Park, we had regulars of more than one religion that would come by our house, I must be marked on the map now to skip, because I can see them going up and down my, my street, but they never knock on my door anymore. They've come when it's blistering hot and humid outside, 
And rather than standing in the doorway and letting all the air conditioning outside, and because they look so hot, I say, come into this front room right here, right by the front door, and just sit down, we'll talk. And I know their theology, and I know my theology, and I begin to help them to understand the incarnation and the Trinity. And they begin to call you know, their friends to say, help needed, come, come help. And what's, what's taking place is that it's not that I'm being persuaded, but I'm helping them understand why it is that their view is errant according to the scripture. You can talk to people who have bad doctrine, but you can't aid and abet them in their ministry. It'd be nothing wrong with me giving them a drink of water and helping them understand the truth, but neither would I put them up as teachers in my local assembly. Does that make sense? Neither would I let them speak to my young people. I would have to be discriminate in the way in which I show Christ's love to them as I tell them the truth of the gospel. And what's amazing about this is that doctrine interweaves with every gift of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to the body of Christ through us. It's not just the gift of teaching. It's not just the gift of leadership or administration. It is all the gifts. And that means that all of us have to know theology well enough that the way in which we exercise the gift of helps, the way in which we exercise the gift of mercy, the way in which we exercise any gift is tempered and focused and calibrated according to the truth that we know in the word of God. He ends the letter by saying, having many things to write you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. And it's a perfect example of times in which a person might love indiscriminately. On the other hand, 3 John is exactly the opposite situation in which a true believer with true doctrine is being persecuted by the leadership of his church because the church itself has bad doctrine. And we have this problem in churches all around the area in which we would say, you can't trust what they're teaching in those churches because they're teaching in direct conflict to what the scripture says. You need to know the difference between what the scripture says and what you're hearing in some of those places. Third John, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Gaius is this true believer with true doctrine in a church that's gone bad. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Notice, he's described truth in two ways. He describes the knowledge of the truth. He also describes that truth is something you live out. When I said that the previous passage spoke about being truthful, as if truth is something to be, it's an important point. It's not head knowledge only. It's head knowledge that's lived out. We need to think of truth differently to say, I live in a truthful manner. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
And then to encourage him, he's doing the right thing. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Again, he is showing hospitality to traveling teachers and helping them as they travel about. These teachers are actually being sent by the Apostle John. And John, having heard of this church teaching false doctrine, has sent truthful, God-honoring teachers to this assembly to teach them the truth, but they're being rebuffed. He says, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, including some of the teachers that you've never even met before, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. This is a euphemism for helping them get to the next place by giving them a little money in order to help them get there. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Hospitality is a truth-helping ministry when we use it to help the truth get taught. He says, I wrote to the church, your church, the church that has bad doctrine. But Diotrephes, who appears to be one of the leaders, but who has usurped the leadership of the group and has tried to maintain all leadership in himself, is rejecting both John's letters and John's teachers. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Preeminence belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And yet Diotrephes is setting himself as the only one through which all authority and all teaching will come in this church. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, these brethren that John is sending, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church, meaning that Gaius is in danger of being pushed out of the church because he is receiving and helping these teachers who are sent to this city and to this church to help them know the truth. He says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. In other words, don't retaliate against Diotrephes. Don't give evil for evil. But instead, do what is good. He who does good is of God. But he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. And so he's saying Demetrius is one you would trust. I have many things to write, but I do not want, wish to write to you now with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And you can see there is an example of a person under pressure to give up and to acquiesce to false teachers, to people who dominate the church wrongly when he is doing the right thing by taking the risk of seeking to have teachers who teach the truth have access to the people of that church so that they will know the truth and live the truth. 
I think all of us have known since we were young in the faith that we need to show the love of God to others. What I sought to show you tonight is that as we love, we love with a particular bearing or direction that comes from the teaching of the scripture itself. We receive that bearing, that direction, from God himself, who is the truth. And as he teaches us the truth, he teaches us how to love in truth. Sometimes when we're rearing our kids, uh, we take delight in spoiling them. In fact, some people think that's the job description of a grandparent is spoiling the kids. So uh, you won't let them have candy, you won't let them have ice cream, you know, that's my job. I'm going to fill them full of sugar and I'm going to send them back home and let you take care of them. That's all funny as far as it goes, but as far as rearing children or rearing grandchildren, it's not about letting the children decide how they're going to be reared. It's not about giving them the freedom to say, this is how I want you to rear me, and if you don't rear me the way I want to be reared, then I am going to rebel. It's all about receiving the truth of the word of God, non-hypocritically, but authentically living out that truth yourself, and to the best of your God-shaped ability empowered by the Holy Spirit to pass that truth on to your children and to your grandchildren. And if at times you fail and you make a mistake, admit it and tell your child or your grandchild, I was wrong, I should not have spoken that way, or I was wrong, I got out of hand in which I lost my temper. Speak the truth, live the truth, but shape with the truth. Let the love that we so naturally have for our children and our grandchildren, the love that we have for our Sunday school kids or our WANA kids, our youth group kids, the love that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, let us love them, but let us minister to them with the truth that we are learning from the Word of God by helping them know what God wants them to know and directing them in the way in which God would have them go. Father, we turn to you and we praise you that your word is truth. And in fact, you are truth in the sense that truth is derived from your character. It's who you are. And as you ask us to live in obedience to you and to follow after you, we pray that we would grow to know the truth by studying your word and that we would then live out what your truth shows us. And as we love one another, as you have loved us, as we minister to each other's needs, as we encourage and help each other, we do so focused, directed, and recalibrated according to what you've taught us in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.